0: you're listening to Megiddo Radio, Megiddo Radio is a radio ministry of Megiddo Media. For more, visit our website at MegiddoRadio.com. That's MegiddoRadio.com. Welcome everybody, this is Paul Flynn with Megiddo Radio for it's episode number 507. We're going to be continuing on from the previous program. There were some things that I meant to cover, and we kind of ran out of time. And what will be covered today will be more. This was a teaching on the role of men, the the role of feet, the the role of women in, especially in the church, especially in the church. And uh I suppose a topic that is much there's much confusion in our day. there's much rebellion, honestly against the what the light of nature reveals and the scriptures reveal itself in regards to distinct roles between men and women. Again, you'd even see it this is revealed in nature. For example, in such basic truths that, yes, men are physically stronger. That's something revealed in the light of nature. Generally speaking, of course, there's obviously the odd exception here and there, um, where you get the odd woman who is very, very strong and maybe stronger than a particular male. But in general, men are a lot stronger faster other things and this is seen in the sports world this is why we have men's sports and why we have women's sports and things like that and so we would have known for a long long time in, in human society that certain roles jobs positions were suitable for people with strength greater strength greater endurance all these kind of things one gender, <laughs> and this is kind. Of, it's amazing. I was kind of this, this, this um, wisdom for centuries has been challenged. Is what is obviously revealed because it is really to do with rebellion against God's word and the light of nature as well. Which is the heavens declare the glory of God. The light of nature is revealing um, truth about God as well. Like the Creator who made all these things around us. But only women give birth. And a married woman's role is primarily, not only, but primarily in the home. You know, a married woman can work outside the home. But primarily, their main function, or their main, not function, but, well, the main reason any of us are here, male or female, is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. This is why we're here. Uh, It's all about God. but in terms of positions that we, 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 we function in society and other things in the family, um, the very, very basic reality that women, motherhood, the value of motherhood, the the blessing that it is, the, the challenge of it to manage a home, and all these th- things. Many of these things I'm talking about, if not all of them, are revealed in the light of nature. So it's not just that people are rebelling against the scriptures that they've never read. It's far more significant than that. And that's why really don't be surprised if you have a if you if you have a woman in the pulpit. If I see a church that allows a woman to preach, I see a church that doesn't that is not interested in biblical authority or is sufficiently ignorant of how to interpret the scriptures that it shouldn't be any making any decisions if the elders have allowed if the elders in that church have allowed a woman to preach knowing the clear commands and the things lord willing i'll be laying out in this program if they allow for that Either through willful rebellion or negligence, they should, and if it's, they don't know it, they shouldn't be there anyway. So it's a serious, serious problem. This. This is not, you know, on the same par as people disagreeing over the millennium or disagreeing over perhaps you could even say you know disagreeing over baptism whether you baptize your children or not it's not on the same level at all the level of clarity on this issue is so far greater and the, you don't see you don't see things in regards to who who do you baptize who's in the who's in the visible expression of the church revealed in nature as you do with the gender rules and things like that, but you do, you do, when it comes, you know, for example, the baptism issue, for example, you will have to come to scripture and interpret. From the very, very beginning, Genesis two, chapter eighteen, or verse eighteen. There's a leadership role for men and a different role, role of submission, prior to the fall, for women. What happened today, right? This has been completely rejected uh, in large amounts of the church. Both officially and unofficially. Officially, we looked at in the last program. Unofficially, you may have men in authority, you may have men in the roles, but because in the homes, perhaps of these men who are quote-unquote leading, they, they're being led by their wives at home. Well, let's be honest, I think probably many of us, if you've been in churches long enough, you've seen exa- sad examples of that. Whether they're being led by their own wife at home or others within the congregation. So I say officially or unofficially. And when you include the unofficial category, what I'm just mentioning, that is so common today. Because you may have a situation where yes, you don't have any female elders, you might even have any female deacons or whatever the case may be. but there's a, ver- a group of very influential women. Now that can happen with men as well who are shouldn't be you know the, the elders must lead according to the, the word of God. Because if they do not, we have the situation we have, and I'm going to bring up this text here, Isaiah chapter 3, verse 12, and this is mentioned in terms of judgment, in terms of calamities, in terms of um, the difference between the righteous and the wicked, uh, the oppression of the rulers. It says in verse 12 of Isaiah chapter 3, as for my people children are their oppressors and women rule over them oh my people they which lead thee cause thee to err and destroy the way of thy paths as for my people children are their oppressors it seems to be from this text it's not that literal children are leading them although we probably have a In society today, we're probably trying to spoil our children so much inside and outside the church at times, that it is led by children. But I think here what is in view is a lack of wisdom. If somebody says of a person who's maybe they're in their 30s or 40s and they say, oh, he's a child. It's not said in an endearing way. It's said in a, the person lacks wisdom. And also, it says, and women rule over them. Again, probably, perhaps, perhaps being led around by women. But all weak men, led by their passions, What you do see is not that, oh, isn't it brilliant that women, you know, we got to listen to the children of tomorrow. Isn't it brilliant? No, no, this is a bad thing. And women rule over them. This is seen as a bad thing as well. And from the very, very, on this very basic level, everything is on its head. And everything is on its head. It can be largely because of weak men. Men not willing to lead. Sinful men. Men who are following their lusts. Slaves of their lusts. And so everything is turned on its head. Everything is the opposite of what it's meant to be. And you'll see the pressure from outside the church to have not a distinction in roles between male and female, as you find in the scriptures, as you find in the light of nature. What you'll find is not a distinction in roles, but a duplication of roles. And an actually an erasing of women. Women are erased, and they're really to be appreciated according to modern thinking and philosophy and other things like that. They have to be identical with men. Taking the role of men, and because men, in certain cases, are so afraid of being accused of being abusive, domineering, all sorts of things like that, the men end up taking a submissive role in various relationships. That can be in the home, that can be in the church, and that can be in other places where it's not appropriate either. There is a distinction in roles. Men and women are different. And we know uh, society acknowledges this because if men and women weren't different and there was no such thing as categories of men and women, the transgender movement wouldn't be a thing, would it? Because what would you be changing to? Nothing. It's convenient. They play around categories and then they're tossed out the window. I'm just going to read one or two commentaries on this text in Isaiah chapter 3, verse 12. And we are going to get to various texts, the texts I was planning on getting to with regards to male leadership. Not just, yes, in the home, but especially in the church as well. But if it's not exercised in the home, and I'm not saying, no, we we don't do it in a heavy-handed manner, But the tail is not to wag the dog. Men, you are to lead in the way Christ has instructed you to in the home. You are not commanded to submit to your wife. However, let's not use this as an excuse to be abusive, actually abusive in in an actual sense, not not in the, the silly way that that word has been thrown around in modern culture. And used to do anything that might hurt the sensibilities of certain women in the church. Or outside the church. A lot of, because of the Me Too movement, because of all sorts of other things, language has been weaponized to silence the other side. Happens in politics. Or you're far right if you disagree with somebody. And it's easy to throw around labels And to accuse rather than deal with the substance of an argument. So in Isaiah 3, verse 12, John Gill, John Gill was an 18th century Baptist preacher. Um, He says this on verse 12 because the exact tribute of their subjects and sometimes in a tyrannical and oppressive manner, and so get the name of oppressors. The sense is the same with verse 4. Verse 4, he's linking it back to there. And I will give children to be their princes, and babes shall rule over them. Uh, the words may be rendered, for as for my people, every one of their governors is a child, not in age, but in understanding. And women rule over them, either over the people in Israel, as Alexandria before Herannus, it could actually be, you know, uh, referring to actual women as well, not necessarily. But I think really, I think it's more to do with uh, reversing of roles and everything kind of been turned on its head. And over the, uh, returning to Gil's comment, and over the child, over the governor, as women had great influence over their husbands and governors of Judea in those times as Herodias, Bernice, and Drusilla or may be understood of men, weak, effeminate, given to pleasure. O oh, my people, they which lead thee, as the former may designate their political governors, this their ecclesiastic rulers, who were to direct and lead them in the paths of religion and truth. Some render the words, I'm uh, going to skip ahead here, um, it says, by turning them out of the right way, by enjoining them, the traditions of the elders, by taking them away of the key of knowledge of them and not suffering them to go into key of kingdom or attend the ministry of the gospel and ordinances as the scribes and the Pharisees who are blind leaders of the blind. So, and, you know, as he says, it could be understood, women rule over them, understood of men weak, effeminate, and given to pleasure. Weak, effeminate, and given to pleasure rather than endure men who will endure pain, who will endure suffering, who will endure hardship. I often, agree of being a man. And you can go through the statistics, and people have done this actually. Um, you know, statistically, a lot of male jobs, traditionally or otherwise, are a lot, a lot more dangerous, and all these other things, and people have looked into that. And often the sight of being, the sense of leading and being a man and all these kind of things is to endure, to suffer. It's not that women don't suffer. There is, obviously, there is childbearing and other things like that. But when men don't want to or, do, or run away from any degree of enduring, of suffering, of pain, they become weak, cowardly soft, effeminate, led by their lusts and emotions and their affections rather than the principles. And so you get... So the leadership may not be actual women, but it may be in in a kind of a sense like that. That's why you say you can have feminism Officially or somewhat unofficially in practice, while still, you know, on on paper, you're a conservative church, but in practice, not so much. The church has been so affected by the culture, especially in the last hundred years. When it comes to roles... That's not just, the distinction of genders has kind of gone out the window, not just in society, that's just, that's not just, I think it's a society. Look at the confusion you see on gender issues and all this kind of stuff in society. But this confusion of lack of distinction between the genders has gone on for nigh on decades when it comes to the church and to seeking in any way possible to bend the Bible to allow for equal representation of women in all sorts of things. The important thing is, in any roles in the church, that the person who is carrying out that role of leadership is qualified. Not what we think is qualified. Somebody may be a great speaker or maybe a godly person or whatever else, but what does the scripture say? And it's very important, according to the scriptures, that the home is led by the husband, by the father of that house. Women, if you marry that man, if you're, you know anybody listening who's thinking about getting married in the future, you must follow him. If you attempt, if you attempt to make him follow you, you'll both be miserable in your marriage. Now, again, don't please om- misunderstand this for a man being tyrannical and unloving and horrible towards his wife. This is not what I'm advocating at all. Men love your wives, treat her well. Encourage her, bless her, help her. Listen to her. That may require not fixing all of our problems. I know sometimes us men we struggle with that. So uh, men have issues too. <laughs> we don't men, especially since the since the fall, right? We don't want to do what, we, what we've been called to do. Often that's leadership, and women also struggle with the role as well. So it's not just that the. the f- we don't want to be like ah oh, it's all because of women. No, it's it's weak men as well. It's there's it, there's plenty of blame all around to spread and start off if you're just coming across this for the first time, start off little by little. Maybe you're just discovering things like this. Well, apply these things in your life. Lead. If you're a man in your home, lead your family in one of the most important points places that you will lead your family before the throne of God in prayer in family worship start off with the basics first before you start off with any grand decree of how you're king of your house or anything like that don't a wise head of a home is going to delegate quite a bit and it's not going to seek to micromanage they'll torment you and i'll torment everybody else so a lot of the conventional wisdom don't throw it out the window because we've been so affected by feminism and all this kind of stuff and there's so much role distinctions and all this kind of stuff and don't go running to terrible examples in i don't know the quote-unquote Depends what people mean by this, but the patriarchal movement stuff, that you know, Doug Wilson and all this kind of thing. Go for, read the Puritans, have a devotion to your wife, seek to have a devotion to your wife, like Martin Luther did for, towards his wife, if you're a husband. We're all going to fall short in this area. I think the danger sometimes is usually an overreaction, and that's what I'm afraid of whenever I do a program like this. We're seeking to find biblical balance in this. Not because it's a disaster for the church. If you've got a church where the elders are really led by their wives. Or the minister is led by his wife. She's the boss in the house. So really, she's in charge of the church, unofficially, <laughs> sadly. And that's kind of the way it goes. If you can't lead in your home, you cannot lead in the church. And that's clearly why 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 7 states that if a person can't lead in his own home, cannot lead in the church. Okay, so I'm going to read a comment from John Trapp. Again, this introduction is taking a lot longer than I expected, but I guess I want to point out the importance of this. This is not just some right-wing thing. This is for the health and the well-being and blessing of the church. And when it goes wrong, it's really a sign that there's judgment upon Either the the home or even, in fact, uh, upon the church itself. And you could even include society because, you know, we have weak male leaders and all of our society. Okay, John Trapp said this on children are their oppressors. Rulers, he calleth them not as being too good a name for them, but oppressors. And these were boys and women, i.e. such as were no wiser than children, nor had any more command of their passions than weak women, and were therefore unfit for government. It's interesting as well how... We've lost the sense of what it means to be weak. Weak as a man. We just call it being somebody who's um, emotional or in touch with their feelings or whatever else modern society has dubbed it. I'm not saying a person needs to be devoid of feeling and anything to be a strong male leader. Or that a person doesn't weep. I mean, some of the best, most godly men routinely weep in the pulpit, in prayer, for, for, for dear souls. But they're not led by their emotions. They're led by Christ. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. So I don't want to have this stoic, unfeeling, unfeeling religion to replace what is happening today. But weak men are led by their lusts and passions. And there's something wrong when the roles are reversed to this extent. Now we have to begin at the beginning. Finally, we're getting to our Bible texts. Genesis 2, verse 18 says this. And the Lord said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him so it's not good that man be alone. So men and women are different. verse 22 in the rib and the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And when you're looking for role distinctions in the church, it brings it all back to creation. It brings it back to this, the distinction between the roles, the distinction between the genders. One Another place you can see this distinction between the genders and the roles that they both play. Again, men and women both create an image of God. Equal in value, but different roles. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. That's not just talking about husbands or anything like that. This is talking about male-female distinction. So, let me get this out. Um, Most often it is speaking of so this is speaking about a male-female distinction in roles. I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. The head of the woman is the man. Verse 4 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. So we have a principle of veiling, or not veiling the head, in this case for the man, because there's a distinction, a distinction in terms of authority, or these distinctions between the genders. Verse 5, But every woman that praying or prophesieth with her head uncovered, dishonoreth her head, for is even at all as if she were shaven. And uh, it then ties it into the light of nature. Verse 6, for if the woman be not covered, let her be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. So it's making the argument here, the the argument of head coverings here, for if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. And basically her head shaved but if, if it would be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven which we know from nature um, let her be covered so it's basically saying look if you acknowledge this in terms of hair another covering you could say of a, of a type then let her also be covered it's not saying that hair is the covering or anything like that for a man indeed ought not to cover his head for as much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. So there's a difference in the public worship of God. This is, uh, so women in the public worship of God, and I say public, um, to, to cover their heads, men not to cover their heads. Uh, why, uh, verse 10, for this cause ought the women have power on their head because of the angels. in the presence of angels and uh, it is a witness it is a public witness nevertheless neither is the man without the woman neither is the woman without the man in the Lord and as the woman is of the man even so is the man of the woman but all things are of God so you have this you have this difference between male and female but you could say we need each other. We worship together. We worship together in mixed gatherings, but we are different. We're distinct from each other, but we are not without each other in the Lord. And when... And this was pretty typical up until 19... I think, was it 1968? 1968? The, the feminists in the 1960s could see that head coverings was a token of subjection and they wanted, the, you know, the feminists printed this kind of stuff to express their liberation from the yoke of su- su- suppression and all these kind of things, um, this token of subjection to be removed. Brethren, we have no idea how much we've been influenced by the feminist movement. We have really, really no idea. The way to tackle this is not maybe read all the feminists and do the exact opposite. I'm not advocating that. We need to know our scriptures better, and we need to read men of the past and to see what they said about the the role differentiation. Not just in marriage, but in, sometimes in all of life, sometimes in the family, and sometimes even in society itself. It's important. And fr- friends, if we're going to... God's ways are best. The way we're doing things today in society and in the church is miserable. Women are under pressure to act like men. They don't realize a lot of the time, but they're being put under pressure to act like men. And men are reluctant, for many different reasons, to lead. Often because we're driven more by our pleasures. Because... As men, we've been called to suffer and endure, to lead a household. And to lead is not easy. And so we would often prefer not to lead and let somebody else do it. But if you are a father in a, ho- in a home, or perhaps, I don't know, well, if you've been called to be an elder in your church, you've been called to lead in that church, You've been called to be a deacon. You've been called to lead in that sense in the temporal duties of looking after you know the poor and needy and different things like that. The diaconate role. But lead in whatever capacity you've been called to lead. Once we neglect that once we are not doing what we're supposed to be doing what ends up happening to men you you even seen in a, in a generation maybe it, happens, it doesn't happen so much in the church I hope not but you'll see them given over to pleasures and I don't just mean the likes of pornography and things like that I'm talking about men just do whatever they like play computer games for hours they're not focused on their duties, primarily. And so that can be frustrating for women and discouraging for women. And why would a woman want to follow a man who doesn't lead? In order to lead, you got to work hard. It doesn't mean you do everything. But it's not easy. I'm not saying you should have a pity parade for yourself. But we, there's a lot to be learned. And there's a whole generation, my generation, we I remember, I, I'm old enough to remember, when it was a, embarrassing and a joke, if, if you saw anybody above the age of, I don't know, Teenager maybe playing computer games. Now, it wouldn't be uncommon to go to a person's house who was in their 30s or 40s and they still play computer games. I'm just giving that as an example men given to games and immature pursuits and everything else like that rather than leading. So so there's some texts r- r- referencing the difference between roles. Let's look at some, we're going to have to look at some things regard to the eldership. So we're going to look at 1 Timothy. I'm going to look at, not from chapter 3, we're going to start in chapter 2. Chapter 2, and I'm going to try and have my Greek out in front of me because I think this part of scripture, I know this part of scripture sometimes, sometimes it'll say the word man and it's just anyone, sometimes it's man and it's andros, which is a male as opposed to female, eh, sometimes it comes out in English, but, so 1st Timothy chapter 2, and reading from verse 1, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men. For kings now, even though this isn't necessarily tying in with, but you know, all kinds of men. I suppose you interpret that in verse two for kings and for all that were in authority that we may lead in quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. We will have all men to be saved. Now, just to give you just going through this all. Anthropos is you know, all people, you could say, all, to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So sometimes men is used in terms of the gender, and sometimes it's used in terms of just men as in people. For there is one God, and one meter between God and man, men, the man, Christ, Jesus. The man, Christ, Jesus. Again, this is the same in Greek. I mean, it can be the man Christ, Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ, and the lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. Now, verse eight is where it gets um, to where we kind of want to go for the context of a lot of things. I will therefore that men, I will therefore that men, uh, andras, men as opposed to women, pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting, in like manner. Also, that the women adorn, so you can even say this in English, you don't even have to go to the Greek to say this, that men pray everywhere, in likewise manner, that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, so, um, Verse 9, Guneikos, sort of Andros, Guneikos. Women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold apparels or costly array. See the kind of contrast between verses 8 and 9. The leading of public prayer is to be done by men, to be led by men, lifting up holy hands. If, if it's public prayer of a mixed nature, men ought to lead. In like manner also, there's almost a kind of um a non-showiness of the women in public worship. But, verse 10, which becometh woman professing godliness with good works, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. So we've got two options. Are we talking about this in terms of the church, public worship? Well, it's clear from the context because of, it talks about a teacher, talks about teaching, verse 7, talks about prayer, which is public worship, and verse 8. But let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. see the difference between the woman and the man but I suffer not a woman to teach there's two things that women are not allowed to do in the public worship of God they're not to teach and they are not to usurp authority now by teaching and preaching, that's done with authority. And that would usurp authority there. But they're not to teach and to not usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Over the, verse 12, Andras, Andros. andros. not, you know, as in man in terms of male, in terms of female. It reverses the created order, but let, but to be in silence. And Paul's very clear why for Adam was first formed, then Eve. Or put it another way, man was first made and then woman. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived in the transgression. There's an argument that can be made: Adam should have protected his wife; should have led his wife. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Then we come on to the eldership, and also the diaconate. And in this context, the context of public worship, in the context of the public gathering of God's people, there's both genders present, worshipping God, prophesying, which is basically worshipping of God. It is not to be led by women. There's a distinction, there's a difference laid out in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Public prayer is not to be done by a woman, it's to be done led by a man. Chapter 3 of 1 Timothy. And look, friends, I've been told, right, years ago, it's before... 1 Timothy chapter two verse eight became apparent to me that men were to lead in public prayer. It's so only really clicked with me. Some recent times I've seen it, but wasn't completely convinced of it. Now well, I completely am, and I don't know why I missed it for so many years. But I was told by someone years ago who didn't agree with this practice. that they thought not allowing women to pray in public prayer was misogyny. So the influence of the feminist movement is pretty strong. Even in those churches that really think they're conservative. important thing is not my view or your view or what we think of anything. What does the scripture say? And we have to change that we love what the scriptures say, because God's ways are better. We can't teach God wisdom. He's He is most wise. He is infinitely wise, and we need to learn from him, not the other way around. And when we do that, When we just say no, we're not gonna we're acting like we act like well that God is deficient in an area. It's important that we follow these things. We're consistent with these things. So, verse, uh, chapter 3, 1 Timothy, this is a true saying. If a man desires the office of a bishop or an overseer, you have the word episcopos, where you get the word episcopalian, but an overseer, um, elders, really, he desireth a good work if anyone desires he desires a good work now here a man is anyone okay so we couldn't we can't really derive that it's a man from verse 3 it has to be a man because of ver- chapter 2 is very very clear uh, it says in in, ch- in verse 2 a bishop then must be blameless the husband the husband of one wife. Now, what's it, what's interesting about that phrase is it's very hard to translate in, in English, but it's one mias gynikos andra, which is basically one mias gynikos which is woman, and andra, man, a one woman man. Sometimes yes, andras could be translated husband, but. Usually it's not. and You really need compelling reason to translate that word husband and narrow it down to just a husband. But here it's saying a one-woman man. And what does that mean? Well, in the, in the first century, there was a lot of people with... Men had more than, more than one wife. Okay, and this would prevent them from being... It's, it doesn't mean you have to be married or anything like that. So a bishop must be... Blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. And this is all the elders, given to not given to wine, no striker, no greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, but not covetous. So it's giving you all the qualifications. Verse four One that ruleth well his own house. We've talked about that a good bit now, having his children in subjection with all gravity again if they, if he cannot rule well his own house if in his own marriage he is ruled by his wife just by way of an aside never or how would i put it make sure When you're either voting on a ruling elder in your congregation, I'm not saying you're looking for perfection. All of us fall short, including myself. Or you're calling a minister, you say you've got a vacant pulpit. How is he around his wife? Does he rule? How is he around his children? I'm not saying perfection now. I want to be clear about that. Because I know, you know, if you think about anybody, including myself, you're going to find faults and you know, they're there. <laughs> but we, we must make sure that it's something to really bring into account when you're thinking about potential candidates, that you're thinking. Does this person lead, or is he led? Does the tail wag the dog at home? And so therefore, you're not really getting that person either as a minister or ruling elder. You're really getting his wife, or perhaps his children, or perhaps whoever gives out to the person enough. And that's ugly, and you don't want that. This is why these qualifications are there. They're not, oh, it's great if they have them. And again, I'm not looking for perfection because none of us have that. But these are vitally important. Again, I'm not, there's going to be areas where all of us need to improve. All of us are ill-disciplined at times and all that kind of thing. But you must lead. Because if that person does not lead at home, someone else is leading him and that's, how the decisions will be made. Verse 5, For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice or new convert, basically. Lest being lifted up with a pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Verse 7, For he must be a good report of them that are without, lest he fall into the reproach of the snare of the devil. I can also look at deacons as well, because I think that's an often underappreciated role. Probably, I don't know, is it because of the relative wealth that we've had in the Reformed Church for about 200 years? The situation is in Northern Ireland, where I live, I know very few churches that have deacons. And they have a kind of a a strange replacement for it, which is a committee, more of a, a more of a, a temporary situation, which is not good. And uh, there's no there's no mention of a committee in the scriptures. So then who's qualified to be in the committee? Well, there's nothing laid out about it. It's really in, in place of uh, a committee. Well, I know people say, well, what if you don't have a deacons? Well, elders function as deacons if that is not the case. And I would encourage you to read uh, the Directory of Church Government, which I'm hoping to go through in the future. Once we finish the Westminster Larger Catechism in in the program, I then hope to go through some of the directories uh, as well as the Confession of Faith. So that is hopefully, hopefully we get a chance to do that. We may or may not get a chance to do that. uh, uh, But it's all in the Lord's will. So let's look at deacons very, very briefly. So it's the same with deacons. Deacons must be male as well. Um, Verse 8, likewise, must the deacons be grave. Not double-tongued. And grave just kind of means... You get the word reverend, almost uh, respectable. Not double tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre. If you're, if you're, if you're led by your emotions and passions, you're, you're, you're going to be an effeminate, soft leader. And I don't mean acting like a woman. I'm just mean you're, you're going to be a weak leader. That's what I mean by that. You're going to be easy to be pushed around. Because you're given to your your pleasures. You do not... Your principles will not come first. And often the fear of man gets in the way of that. I would urge you men stop making excuses for the fear of man to be used as a reason to be weak in leadership. There's too much of it around today. It says holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. These are deacons now, looking after the temporal affairs of the church. Deacons are not the preach, they don't rule, they don't represent the church, but they are there to effectively relieve the the elders that they can spit focus on more prayer and, um, and, and teaching. Verse 10, And let these also first be proved. Let them use the office of deacon being found blameless. Even so, must their wives be grave, not slanderous, sober, faithful in all things. The relationship, even of a deacon, is important to his wife. To his wife, a deacon must be male. I have seen. I don't know how to approach this. Sometimes I see sometimes de- denominations, in various parts of the world, and set up committees to discuss whether, for example, I saw one case in. Um, in an American denomination, and we'll mention the name of it. You probably be able to guess. <laughs> um, they're discussing whether it's right to have was it whether women can be in the diaconate or not. Really, Does it was really have to be discussed. I know you, you. I think there's there was a few. Was there a few Princeton guys? I'm not sure who held to this view, but is it really gotten to this point? I don't think it's. Yeah. The elder situation is far clear. Far clear. But the deacon issue is very clear as well. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife. Again, let's look at that. Verse 12. Verse number 12. Yeah, exactly the same... Um, deacons, they are one woman men. One woman men. The only difference is the um, same idea. Now, I know the arguments of, oh, they think that they find, oh, it says the word diaconus Romans 16, and there's a lady who is a... Yeah, I mean, we're, there's a sense in which we're all deacons, we're all ministers, but then there's us as servants and ministers and servants, whatever context we can use that word. And then there's the office. And there's a difference. And here Paul, to Timothy, is writing about the office. So there's, to me, male leadership. I mean, you could also talk about as well, we'll look at this briefly as well. There's a role, a very, very important role, for the wives of deacons and the wives of uh, elders to be played in the home. Oh, wives of any man, for that matter. And... now. Just to clarify, if your husband, if women are listening to this, if your husband tells you to sin, you're using an extreme example of if he tells you to go kill somebody, obviously you don't listen to him then. It's better to be, we ought to obey God rather than men. Acts 5, 29. But, nevertheless, the wife is to reverence or husband, Ephesians 5.33. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord, Colossians 3.18. These are not suggestions. Men struggle in their role just as much as women struggle in theirs. And the men, the key is not to give out to your wife you're not submitting enough to me perhaps you're listening to this and maybe you haven't realized that there's certain things you're doing that's making it difficult for your own wife to to submit to you be someone grow in such a way that she will want to follow you and there may be times you have to speak truth in a loving way in a firm way at times Encourage. Sometimes your wife needs encouragement. And what she's doing right. And thanks and all these other things. And then, rather than a wife nagging her husband to do the right thing, to lead, that's not really going to work very well. Encourage your husband in what he is doing right. I'm not saying any of this stuff is easy. I'm. If you have a godly husband, if your if your wife listens, or if you have a good, if you have a godly spouse, thank the Lord for that. I am blessed that I have the wife I have. Um. She's tremendously supportive, amazingly so. And I often don't appreciate it as much as I should sometimes, as many of us don't, as many of us us husbands don't at times. Don't take your husbands for granted. But maybe you're not in such a situation. Maybe you're going home to a sincere Christian. Maybe you're married to an unbeliever. So there's people, you know, uh, I want... I'm not saying myself and my wife are perfect, but I think I've, for a Christian, I have the dream situation. Myself and my wife, we agree in many things. Not everything, but many things. And so I'm incredibly blessed to have the marriage I have. And I thank the Lord for that. I thank the Lord for my family and everything else like that. But many of you are listening and you may not have that situation. And don't come to this issue as a bull in a china shop. Lead in your own sphere. Encourage. Sometimes you do have to. There are times to rebuke. Not to do it all the time, because, you know, that's that's not going to help. But encourage in what the people are doing right. By God's grace... If you're in a difficult situation, be the best. And this goes for any situation. Be the best husband you can possibly be by the grace of God. And if you're in a difficult situation with your, maybe you got an unconverted wife, you need to be much in prayer. And you need much strength, and you need much encouragement from your church and all sorts of things. You can't do it alone. And if you're a wife to a husband who's not a convert or whatever the case may be, or maybe backslidden, maybe facing church censure or whatever. You're not in an easy situation. Again, the same. Support him in things he's doing right. And I i am not saying any of this is easy. I know that sometimes it's easy just to do these podcasts down here um, in my study. Put them on the internet. And I don't know how this is going to be received because I can't see your face. This may deeply disturb you learning of these things because maybe you're thinking I've neglected some of these areas. Maybe you feel convicted. You feel I'm weak in these areas. I'm not saying to make excuses for yourself, but also to realize that the road to repairing and to fixing these things, it's not a short one. But take the first step. Take the first step in leading if you're a man. Not in tyrannizing, not in oppressing. Remember... The, the your your wife is spoken of as the weaker vessel in first Peter chapter three verse seven. And if you think that's misogynistic, then there's a problem with the person using that kind of language in regards to biblical scripture and biblical doctrine. There is a distinction between the roles. Men have the high calling in your homes of loving your bride as Christ loved the church that's a high calling you couldn't be any much higher than that and you're going to need prayer no matter what situation you're in because we're sinners hopefully this has been a blessing to you and hopefully it's been somewhat of a we don't the big struggle is to see positive examples around you if you see families where this has been modeled in a good way seek to learn from them Seek to learn and apply these things to your life. This has been Paul Flynn. May God bless you all.